Dr. Zubin Damania is an internal medicine doctor, a medical satirist, and the founder and CEO of Turntable Health and ZDogMD.com. He was in Syracuse recently for the opening of the Upstate Mind, an initiative to generate innovation and ideas in both medicine and research. The Upstate Mind is led by Dr. Robert Corona, Professor and Chair of Pathology and the Vice President for Innovation and Business Development at Upstate Medical University. Take a listen to Dr. Corona as he interviews Dr. Domania for HealthLink on Air. I'm Robert Corona. Today I get a real thrill to speak with Dr. Zubin Domania. Known online as ZDogMD, uh, I've seen his videos and totally enjoyed them, and they've gone epidemically viral, educating patients and healthcare providers while mercilessly satirizing our dysfunctional healthcare system. Uh, Dr. Demania has won teaching awards during his 10-year hospitalist career at Stanford, which I saw him in a video called Afghanistanford. And at the same time, he's maintained a shadow career performing stand-up comedy for medical audiences worldwide. In fact, we just had the pleasure of having him uh, sing his new video this morning uh, while we're recording this. He now lives in Vegas. He has a beautiful family, and he's made the leap from satire to actionable change by founding and implementing an innovative model of healthcare delivery that promotes wellness at both the individual and community level. And he's uh, named it after his passion for uh, music, uh, turntable health. He's going to tell us about his membership-based primary care ecosystem, which is part of an ambitious urban revitalization movement spearheaded by Zappos CEO, Tony Shea. Right pronunciation. Welcome, Dr. Domenio, or Z-Dog. Uh, I have already had a total blast with him, only spending the past half hour, and I hope this interview is as much fun as we've had in the past 30 minutes. Bob, I'm furious. I'm furious right now because you said I went viral, and uh, as a scientist, you know very well that it's retroviral. Uh, <laughs> but thank you. I'm, it's really a pleasure to be here, and I just got to give a shout-out. West Side! <laughs> I mean, or East Side. I guess East, East Side. It's cool. Well, you were born East Side, right? I was born East Side, Morristown, New Jersey, so upstate New York. In fact, my dad, uh, who is a primary care physician from India, which, by the way, that's basically synonymous, primary care, India, same thing. <laughs> he, uh, he was deciding, do we move to Goshen, New York, or do we move to Clovis, California? And he kind of flipped a coin, and we ended up in Clovis, but it was very possible that I would have been here in New York. So it was just barely missed the bullet there. So first, I want to talk about growing up. What was your uh, childhood like? Why did you uh, develop such a great sense of humor? Well, do you remember the husky section at Mervyn's? Uh, because I do. Uh, so my mom's way, my mom's a psychiatrist, by the way. Her way of showing me love was to feed me, to stuff me full of food. So I, w I was ahead of the, you know what? Childhood obesity didn't really become a thing until like the 2000s. But I was way ahead of the curve in the 70s. I was obese. And so as a chubby little kid with a funny last name that's unpronounceable living in a rural part of California, I developed a sense of humor as a coping mechanism to put people at ease, to lubricate the sort of social situation so that instead of them be being the, the, the subject of attention that was bad, I was a subject of attention where people were laughing with me. So that was awesome. So it was that's where it kind of came about. See, I had an East Coast experience where I avoided the husky section of Sears and Roba. <laughs> and my mother used to say, well, you're, you're really a husky. And I'd say, I'm not a husky. And I'd try to stuff in my uh, 
orange corduroy pants. And <laughs> I had those. I had those. And you know, you know, the funny thing is my mom would go into Mervyn's and she would loudly ask, where's the husky section? Can someone tell me where the husky section is? And I was like, you know, like, I'm like, mom, come on. Okay. You're hiding behind I'm hiding. Clothes. That's right. The funny thing is now the husky section doesn't exist anymore. Neither does Mervyn's. It's just called small. Yeah. Because everything has just progressed to the point where BMI, I mean, it's a real tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was interesting. So you moved out to California and uh, grew up there. Tell us a little bit about your education, the fun part of it, not the boring part. Oh, man. I mean, you know, <laughs> school is one of those things where when you, you're a little bit off, uh, you kind of bristle at most stuff in class. But it just so happened that I was good at school. So I was able to be kind of a you know, class clownish guy while still doing okay, which got me into you know, UC Berkeley and then UCSF Medical School somehow, even though I had imposter syndrome the entire time. <laughs> and in it was in UCSF where uh, I used to teach an MCAT class at Berkeley for a company called Berkeley Review. I think they're still working out there. And it was these two-hour blocks three times a day where I had to teach about general chemistry. And I didn't know ish about general chemistry, like nothing. And so to put myself at ease, I used humor and I started developing these sort of stand-up routines around like Le Chatelier's principle or like, hey, check it out. It's Boyle's Law, son. You know, and, and so it forced me by the fifth lecture, I, I had it dialed. I knew how to read the crowd. I knew how to make the jokes. And that has helped me then to do what I do now, which is a little variant of that, which is educate, entertain, kind of spread the word about what we're calling health 3.0. So when you were a hospitalist and you were doing your medical gig, were you still doing the satire and the parodies and all that? Not, not, not for most of my career. In fact, for a good first six, seven years of my hospitalist career at Stanford, I was just straight up hospitalist. And all my energy and all my sort of creative juices were kind of subjugated to the daily grind of doing that. And, and I took a lot of it out in the teaching. So the house staff were the beneficiaries or subject subjects of the torture of having to have me as an attending, which was a nonstop stand-up comedy routine on the on rounds, which for better or for worse, I used to win teaching awards, I think because of that, not because I could teach. Uh, so, you know, it was a lot of fun. So then you said you felt like a zombie, right? And you wanted to get out of it. And so did you just resign retire Nah, you know it was like 35 36 i just had my daughter and i had this midlife crisis where you know people were asking me are you happy in your life and i'm like yeah sure yeah sure what wait wait no no i am i'm living someone else's life like that you could tell that what was happening in my in my job was the what's happening i think in medicine as a as a whole which is this transition through health 2.0 where we used to have autonomy, it used to be an art and a kind of a guild and an apprenticeship with its own problems, hierarchical, paternalistic, all of that. But now it was about clicking boxes in Epic, pleasing bean counters, productivity, macro MIPS, all this jazz. We went from being a partnership to being a corporation. The house staff started to peel back because of work hour limits. And so we were working a lot harder, but with no more support. And most of the time we were working to treat the computer, not the patient. So I started to get really burned out. And then as a cry for help, in 2010, I realized, hey, YouTube's a thing, man. There's a gopher on there that like gets hella views. I'm at least as, as good as 20% of that gopher. So that's when I started making videos, putting them online. So did somebody see your video to get you on the TED Talk when you did a TED? Yeah, so uh, the videos became a thing. Uh, the guy from Zappos, Tony Shea, asked me to come to Vegas to see if we, I could actually put my complaints into action and do something with it instead of just you know complaining about how things were broken. And that got the attention of the TED Med people, and they were like, well, come and talk about uh, your journey. 
we don't want to hear about, you know, healthcare transformation. We want to hear about your journey. And I'm like, oh, I can tell you. <laughs> I'll tell you about my journey, son. And that's when it kind of went crazy. Yeah. yeah. Well, you have a passionate following. I'm, I'm getting emails to tell you thank you for raising awareness for the, the plight of nurses and case managers and doctors. And uh, I, I think you're a real spokesperson who gets it. And uh, the, the young people coming through, like our medical students, for instance, today are so excited about interacting with you. Um, I just, the characters you do are hysterical. I mean, maybe tell, tell, tell us about Darth, or Doc Vader. Well, first, I want to say that all those messages you're getting are mostly coming from my parole officer. <laughs> he has multiple <laughs> guises and just wants to show that his, his, his you know, candidate is legit. Yeah, so, so Doc Vader, for example, was a character that we came up with when we knew the new Star Wars was coming out. And all of us were terrified it was going to suck like the first three prequels. And uh, when it didn't suck, I was like, okay, okay, this is a thing. Doc Vader. He is the id of healthcare. He's like everything we want to say but can't. We want to say to our administrators. We want to say sometimes to ourselves and to our colleagues. And so he comes out and he's like, you know, every day I get these Prescani patient satisfaction surveys. And it's like the emperor put a lightsaber in my buttocks every <laughs> single day. And now we have an opioid epidemic because why? Oh, give him dilated so our scores go up. Well, now you've created an addict. Are you happy? In the buttocks every single day. And so that kind of thing went viral. <laughs> the next thing I knew, I'm, I'm doing more of Doc Vader, and he's ranting on everything from, you know, assisted suicide to vaccines. Yeah, the yeah. vaccine, uh, our pediatricians especially liked the help there. Well, you know, he's like, I'm more machine than man now. I can't be vaccinated. I'm wheezing now, Dr. Corona. I'm wheezing now. If I, your spawn go throughout the galaxy spreading measles, and I'm supposed to sit here and wheeze through it. It's unfair. Dark side, 2016. I'm out. Do you have new? Uh, do you have any new characters forthcoming? So we're uh, we're really uh, thinking about uh, Frozen Han Solo and Carbonite being one of the characters. So he's a guy. He's either a doctor waiting on the phone to do a prior authorization with an insurance company, and he's just frozen in Carbonite, or he's a patient waiting in a waiting room, or. He's, you know, a patient in the ICU, and Doc Vader's having a conversation with his family about, you know, he's more machine than man now. Like, we should think about making him comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. So, yeah. Well, you had, a, you had an interesting experience coming into Syracuse last night, and uh, your hotel room and your eating experience. Do you mind sharing that? Because I laughed hysterically when I saw you uh, on Facebook. Well, you know, so I had flown in from Naples, Florida, which is a different climate, to say the least, where I'd given a talk there, and I'm on my, like, you know, East Coast world tour. And so I flew into Syracuse. It was beautiful looking at the colors and everything from the plane. Beautiful weather, wonderful taxi driver. Get to the hotel. I'm placed into a closet that has, I only demand, Bob, I only demand two things in a hotel. I want Wi-Fi and I want coffee. They had neither. <laughs> neither was in the room. So I'm like, cool, I'm going to go, I'm going to Yelp, the nearest, coolest restaurant. And, you know, the restaurant in the facility was okay, but I was like, I want Korean food. It's down the street. So I walk down to this place. It's a hole in the wall. I go in through a door in the back. Because the front door, which was all ornate and looked like it should be the entrance, there was a big sign that says, don't even dare opening this door. Go around the back. You go around the back, which is a fall risk because of these stairs. And then this woman comes out and says, sit down. And it's two Korean ladies staring across each other playing iPad games, like Battleship, against each other. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, cool. I see. I love weird food. I see snails on there. I want the snails. Basically... She tells in Korean, the other woman, she says, it, it, more or less, this is my translation through my universal translator, he can't handle snails. 
like white boy cannot handle snails. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. It's on right now. I want the snails. She's like, we don't have the snails. I'm like, fine, give me whatever is the closest thing to the snails. So she comes out with a steaming spicy pot of squid, you know, with tentacles still coming out of the pancake. And it's great. It looks like the Sarlax pit in Return of the Jedi. And I eat the whole thing, every last bite. And at the end, she says, you know, we had the the snails. We just didn't think you could handle it, but I think you could handle it. And I'm like, oh, I almost, I mean, so that was my intro. By the way, best Korean food I've had in forever. And I grew up in the Bay Area of California. So you guys have it dialed. Chorong House here in, in town. Yeah, Beautiful. who would have thought that uh, you'd come to Syracuse for Korean food? It was dope. Now, when you come back, which I hope we can get you to come back, we'll get you the snails. And there's a place here that has faux cargo, which is vegetarian snails oh dear <laughs> you know what if we're talking about conscious animals not suffering a snail is at the top of my list to save like forget yeah. the cows they can't feel anything but a snail yeah. expressive have you right. seen their eyes bob i have yeah yeah and i i like the uh, conversation you had about mucus tell me a little bit about that yeah you know i forget what i was saying but the snail, snail mucus snail mucus uh was a thing i was hoping to sample and instead, I got uh, squid mucus, which is a different mucus. If you've ever, you know, if you're a connoisseur of mucus like I am, all right, you're a pathologist. Yes, you're right. a connoisseur. We of love mucus. mucus. You love mucus. Yeah. Anything that it's secreted, excreted, it's a beautiful goblet thing. cells. Okay, <laughs> and I'm going to drop the mic. If this were a mic, I could drop without causing thousands of dollars in damage. I would drop it right now. So tell me, what what did you say you had a butt something? from yesterday the experience of, of oh yeah i was butthurt butthurt yeah so butthurt is a term that's come up in the recent lexicon which means when you're emotionally damaged by some trigger so you know somebody hurts your feelings and you're butthurt you know and uh i was butthurt that i was racially profiled by this lovely korean woman as not being able to handle snails i'm like listen I'm of Middle Eastern extraction, okay? I will eat flaming coals and I will and and I'll I'll poo out, you know, totally bland soft serve because my body will process it. So give me the snails. So that was the nature of my butt hurt. Um, although people interpreted it as I was gonna have a hurt butt from the spicy squid, which That's what I thought. I can't yeah. I can't comment. Yeah, on no that. comment this yeah. morning. So we have a minute and a half. Mm. Tell me about what do you plan to do for the future? We're pretty excited about your upcoming video, but uh, other things that you plan. Yeah, so we're going to push this video, Hippies, about uh, mindfulness meditation <laughs> and alternative medicine. And we're going to go continue push this idea of Health 3.0 that sort of transcends and includes the best aspects of everything in healthcare that's come before, the sacred autonomy of Health 1.0 and the beautiful patient relationship that we have as caregivers with the technology of 2.0 and the process improvement of 2.0, but repersonalizing medicine. And that doesn't just mean you know genomics and all the stuff that we talk about in biotech, which is crucial, but repersonalizing it in terms of the analog relationship. So the reason I called our clinic turntable is because I believe the heart of medicine is analog. Right? It's about putting a record on, 10 tracks that tell a story that wash over you in this organic warm feeling. What we get now is an MP3 zeros and ones blared into our ears like you know, on a subway by ourselves with nobody. And we don't deserve that. We deserve to have an analog heart of medicine that's amplified by digital technology and make it really bump. So that's what I'm gonna try to promote uh, as we move on. That's really cool. Are you going to do that do you think you're going to scale it out of Las Vegas? or So Vegas is one place. What happens in Vegas shouldn't stay in Vegas. But uh, our partners, Iora Health, are now all over the East Coast, and they're expanding this sort of model that we have. It's just one model. I want people to bring their own vision and join us on Facebook at ZDogMD because we're talking about it every day. Cool. Yeah. Well, we're really thrilled to have you in Syracuse. We're going to give you a full day and hope you leave here with a big smile on your face. And I want to thank you for coming. I got a smile on my face now, and we're going to go retroviral on this. And I want those snails, son. <laughs>
Okay, thanks. Thanks.